Hi, this is Trevor Jackson. Over the holiday period, I'll be revisiting some of the more remarkable stories from the first season of Tomorrow Is Mine. And there's been some absolute jaffers to choose from. Joseph Prosper featured very early on in our podcast series. In fact, he was on the second show. Up until Joseph became a teenager, he spent much of his young life in African refugee camps before his family were finally taken in by the Norwegian government. Before relocating to Norway, Joseph had never had any formal schooling, and strangely, much of his view of the outside world was formed by television, particularly MTV. How such a grounded, polite, and well-read young man was shaped by MTV, I'll never know. But it's just one of the many curiosities that are part of who Joseph is and the extraordinary journey he's undergone since leaving Africa. If this story doesn't make you appreciate the circumstances of your own situation and how one moment of good fortune can monumentally change your life for the better, then it's unlikely anything will. Oh man, <laughs> I just have to say congratulations for launching this podcast. And I was listening to Bren's um, podcast that, that she did. And the first just, episode, The yeah. first episode, yeah. And yeah. it's just, it's, it is an amazing story to, to listen to. I commented on Facebook, you know, saying that I had no idea Bren was this um, rebellious <laughs> growing up. So he was like, oh, wow. Like, it's just, it's amazing. Like the kind of stories, you know, you can get, you can get out of people when you're just listening. Thank you. But just think now, there's going to be people who listen to this and think they know you <laughs> oh, and have no idea what your life is really like. I was born in Congo. And then at the age of seven, my family and I had to move uh, to a refugee camp. So the first refugee camp was in Tanzania. So this was during the Congo War, where, like, it, of course, like, a lot of families were um, running away from the country. And, you know, we happened to be one of those families. So we, we you know, had, um, we ended up in Tanzania in the refugee camp. So we lived there. We didn't actually live there for very long, about one year. And from there, we moved on to um, to another refugee camp in Malawi, where we spent uh, six years of, of, of our lives before moving to, to Norway. What are your earliest memories of growing up in the Congo? Growing up in Congo was, it was definitely challenging. And I say challenging now because I'm a grown up and when I, when I think back to the kind of life that, you know, my family and I had, like, yeah, it was definitely challenging. But I think it was more challenging to my mom and dad uh, because they had five children who they cannot, for, you know, uh, for circumstances that are out of their control, they, they cannot, you know, provide food for them. So there were days that we only ate once. And I remember... Those days when you just wait for that for that one meal, and it felt like, like it felt like a very big gift, which I got to share with my with my entire family. Like we got to sit around, you know, we chat, and you know, we shared this this one meal, and we were extremely thankful for it. So there, of course, like you know, th those aspects of living in Congo were definitely rewarding, and sometimes I actually miss those. But then there were other aspects where, like you know, it was. Like the environment in which we were, were living, like it was, it was very, really uncertain. Like because at any time that there might be um, rebels roaming around, and if you are, you know, if you're unlucky, you might be caught, and God knows what might happen. So um, th those aspects I don't really miss that much. It's a terrible way to live, and I it can is. imagine your parents must have had a lot of sleepless nights. Five kids, yeah, hard enough trying to worry about where the next meal's coming from. Yeah. 
let alone someone running around with a yeah. gun yeah. that might yeah. you know, do something even That's worse. It. Yeah, and I think the 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 other thing is, of, of course, like, so my family, my parents couldn't, you know, afford to put food on the table three times a day. So that also meant that they couldn't afford to pay for our tuition. So I couldn't attend school when I was young. So now when people ask me uh, where where I'm from and I say Congo, the next question is always, can you speak French? And <laughs> I'm like, ah, I can't. <laughs> I wish I could. So, yeah. you know, and then there are times when I have to go into explaining why I can't speak French. And yeah, so I... I, I Do you really I, need to justify why you can't speak a language? Sometimes, sometimes yes. Sometimes yes. Because, you know, fr- French is our, our second language. Everyone that has gone to school can speak it yeah fluently and I you did. left at age seven right age so, seven yeah so you go into a, your first refugee camp yeah. do you think that was an improvement on your life at least your life it's and it's very hard when you're yeah. seven years old but yeah your life is not under threat yeah. are you getting three meals a day now no no, no. uh so definitely not not uh three meals a day and i wouldn't say it was um an improvement because now like you know of course like you move to a new place like you're living behind everything you have built you know um your house your family ev- everything and this new place you have to kind of start from scratch and the resources around you are not that um, are not that good either so you know th- there were times that we lived in tents for for you know for a while and um the <laughs> the other thing about living in refugee camps is like every month you have to people that have to line up to go get food I, I never really think that much ab- about that image of men or women lining up to go and get food, like grown-up men and women, until recently, actually, um, when you asked me to do this podcast, when I actually started thinking about, you know, how, 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 how life was yeah. um, back in the days. And so just seeing my, my, my mom or, or dad line up to, to go and get food, like that was, yeah, it was, it was kind of... Um, I, I don't really know how to describe it. It's more like, why is this happening to us? Why is this necessary? Yeah. Do you think it's yeah. demeaning to us as human beings that we have to line up like that? I mean, yeah, you, you line up at a, yeah. at a cafe to order yeah, to, yes, you know, coffee right. or whatever. Right. But yeah. when your sole source of food... D- depends on that, yeah. yeah. And yeah. queuing up for who yeah. knows how long. Yeah, how yeah. Long. I, th- I think, yeah, you definitely have to check your pride. Like, yeah. you have to leave pride... At home before you go and. But you're it. seven years old. Yeah. This has no real significance to you at that yeah. age. You can't yeah. really have that kind of formed view where you can comprehend the significance of what you're seeing. Yeah. It's only now, as now a that, young exactly, adult, that you can exactly, reflect back yeah, on it. Yeah. yeah. Just imagine, like, you know, what's going on in a grown up's mind. Like, this is it. Like, there is no other options. I have to line up to go. Every, every month, when you get that food, you have to manage it carefully. The entire month. And were there incidences of people stealing food or doing that, that sort of thing because they were so desperate, they were so hungry, they couldn't wait till the, the next month for oh, food drop? Yeah, 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 definitely. And then there's always, you know, um, some some minor corruption going on because the people that were hired to distribute food also lived in the refugee camp. They're also refugees. So meaning, like, you know, they probably... They looked after themselves. Ex- exactly, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. After themselves and their friends as well, so they they, they probably store some some extras. In, in sure, they did. Back. So the first camp you're in, yeah. Tanzania. You're not yeah. there that long, are you? No, 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 no. I think we we were there for about um, six to eight months. 
and before then you moved on. Malawi, yeah. another your second refugee camp. Yes. Was that an improvement on Tanzania? Was it a better camp? Yes, it was definitely a better camp because it was a, a smaller camp and, and a new one as well. So there weren't that many people there already. So meaning, of course, there, there is some, some some benefits to that. You know, mm-hmm. with a, with a small population, meaning uh, the food that comes in, there is more quantity that can be distributed. You know, to, to people. The other thing was, you know, uh, being early means you can get a, a land for free as well. So we got that, and my, my, my dad decided to build a house, so we built the house from scratch. And I remember actually making the bricks ourselves using clay. Yeah, like oh. we built the entire thing, you know, yeah. yeah from for scratch. obvious reasons, you had to be resourceful. Yeah. But yeah, of course. You've just given us a little insight there. Yeah. Because I think most people's view of a refugee camp from an outsider's perspective, because you can never know unless you've yeah. actually been there, yes. would be, be quite bleak. But mm-hmm. yeah. was it really yeah. like that? I mean, what was no. day-to-day life no, 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 like no. for you? As a kid, I really enjoyed it. Like the, the, the environment, like the friendships that you, you have, like, you know, um, like you just go out and play without, without a care in the world. Like we didn't have computers, uh, we didn't have smartphones or anything. And we never missed these things. You know, I miss these things. Uh, so, like, I definitely get, but the images that you see online of refugee camps, because the first thing you see is UNHCR tents all, all over and people begging for food and all that. But it wasn't like this. No, it wasn't. And well, Malawi yeah. was more established, yeah. wasn't it, as a camp? Definitely. And a bigger it camp. Like, actually, yeah. just out of curiosity, how many people do you think were in that camp? I would say maybe um, when we got there, Certainly close to um, 100,000 or, or, or more, yeah, Wow, around there. That's yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, it is, yeah. And so I can imagine you were talking about this kind of idyllic lifestyle yes. as, as a young kid because yeah. you could run around with your mates, Yes, I don't know, playing yeah. soccer or whatever yeah. you're doing. Without, without, without a care in the world. But were you also somewhat undisciplined, maybe a bit of a wild child as well because you could just run amok with your mates and, and go off wherever? Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, of course, my, my, my childhood wasn't like, you know, um, textbook. I'm sure it wasn't very structured. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was not, it was not um, really structured. But in saying that, when you grow up in, a, in an African family, there is always structure there. So, uh, and there is always, there is always a kind of like rules where if you break them, like, you know, you'll be punished. So in, in terms of being home, like I, I knew my place and where to overstep and where not to overstep because my dad was always there to kind of, you know, if you do something, you, you will see what, what will happen. But being outside, we pretty much could do everything. Like we, we used to go into farms and dig out uh, sweet potatoes and corn and just grill them. And so you didn't have to wait for the monthly lunch. food drop. There was no, food no. available. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I'll say like that's the best thing about living in, in in the refugee camp in Malawi. Like you had other possibilities as opposed to living in the refugee camp in uh, in Tanzania. What about school? There was some kind of schooling that you had in yes, in the yeah. camp there. So um, I think I was extremely lucky to end up in the, in that place. That's so an interesting at, thing at, to say. <laughs> Why? Why would you, as a refugee, yeah. yes. stuck in a camp right. for, what, six right. years of your life? Yeah. You yeah. say you're lucky. Why? Yeah. We were kind of stuck, but I say I was lucky because now thinking back, me speaking English today is because I was in that place. So at the age of eight, I started going to school, and school was, surprisingly, in the refugee camp, school was free. <laughs> so, yeah. no, like you know, it's a school is free in the refugee camp, and it wasn't in my home country. So, in a way, I can say that my home country kind of failed me on that. 
Yes. Like they didn't provide th- that necessary foundation that every kid needs. While I had to move to go and get it in a refugee camp. So, you know, at the age of eight, so I started attending school and that's when I started learning English. I think that small education that I, I received there in a way kind of saved my life. That's interesting. Yeah. You didn't speak French, which is one of the languages of in, in uh, Congo. Congo. Yes. But Swahili you spoke? Swahili, yes. And what I else? Did. So uh, Swahili and in Malawi they speak Chichewa. Yeah. So I, I, could, I could speak that, but I can't anymore, unfortunately. And now I speak, uh, of course, English, Norwegian and um, Swahili. Yeah. That's remarkable in itself for someone who's yeah. had that start in their life, that you could actually get some form like of education. The, yeah, yeah. But yeah. aside from learning English, mm. did you get a good education there or just a very basic no. one? It, this is like a, like a very basic education. So we had, um, I think we had only, only a few subjects. So English, definitely one of them. Uh, we had Chichewa, of course, in the, the language. Uh, we were learning about agriculture because, you know, um, you need food to survive. And then there was one more, which I can remember. It was like proper, you know, where you, you have a science, you have geography, you have all these things. So now, like, I never got the chance to learn, you know, to develop my brain. <laughs> like, and, oh, oh, my God. Well, you've clearly made up for that. <laughs> it's okay. Were the teachers yeah. in the camp, were they yeah. refugees as well? Or were no, they no, brought no, in no. from outside? All the teachers were locals. Yeah, they were. They were. And um, I don't know, so all the Africans that are listening at the moment, at the moment probably, you, you'll know how, how it's like to study in an African school. Like, you get punished for being naughty. <laughs> you know, the teachers, I think that's pretty universal. The, the, oh, man. Oh, you think you don't get punished for being naughty here? here no, oh, no, no, no. It, no, no. You do, definitely not. You do not get punished for, for being naughty here. Like, kids, kids are really, I would say here in Norway, like, kids, they have a lot of freedom. More liberal life, yeah. yeah. Yeah, give me an idea then of yeah. the culture. Is it a very strict traditional culture that you grew up in, despite it being in a refugee camp? Ooh, culture. <laughs> oh, or man. is it a melting pot of cultures because you've got people from... It's a melting pot, definitely. All these different African exactly. nations yeah. yes. together. Yes, it's definitely a melting pot. And, and that's kind of one of the other things um, that, that I also think about a lot, culture, because I don't have like a strong foundation when it comes to culture. Because, well, like, you know, I didn't develop it as much growing up. Like, I didn't uh, get to experience my own culture as, as much. So I don't have that deep connection with it. So in the refugee camp, you have all these different cultures. And the, the environment is very welcoming, where you can pretty much talk to anyone. Because, well, you're in the same situation and you all understand each other's struggles. So it's easy to connect like that. But at the same time, like, you can't really offer that much help to, to each other either. So it's more like just social connections. I know you didn't, despite the fact that it was a kind of rudimentary life yeah. in a lot of ways, yeah. you didn't go without everything. You did have yeah. television, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And this amazes um, me. Like, and, you got TV in a refugee camp. Yes. Was it one TV and 100,000 people <laughs> trying to cram in to watch it? Or? No, yeah, so my, my, my dad has always been a businessman. Uh, so w- when we arrived in, uh, in the refugee camp in Malawi, um, I think, Two years later, he decided to um, to travel to South Africa to go and find work. So he did that. Um, and then when he came back, he brought a, a TV. And then he brought this amazing CD player. <laughs> wow, he would have been the most popular guy in the camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, when, so he, 
he, he came back and then decided to build like a small movie theater in the refugee camp. Definitely. Real entrepreneur, yeah. Yes. Uh, so you know, um, we'll charge people to come to come and you know um, watch movies, uh, watch music on MTV channel. Oh, I don't know. MTV. You know. You're watching MTV. MTV. Yes, MTV. You grew up watching MTV. So yeah, from the age of ten, I started watching MTV. All right. You're in Africa. You're in a refugee camp in yes. Africa, and so you're watching the, yeah. the most overt representation of Western culture. Exactly. Yeah. MTV. So what, I was, what are you thinking when you're watching that? I, well, I was definitely Westernized from a <laughs> from a from a very young age. Um, yeah. So I think like watching MTV and just all these other Western movies, like you know, kind of gave me like another picture of how life can be, of how other people live lives. So MTV had this um, this crazy crazy TV show called uh, MTV Cribs. MTV Cribs, you know, focuses on celebrities showcasing their houses, and these are like fancy million dollar houses. So sitting there watching that, I was like, oh man, like what is someone doing with twenty bedrooms in, yeah. the, in their house? And did, you, did you find that offensive when you're looking no. at that really audacious, overt? No, showing think, off yeah, of like yeah. what you own yeah, exactly. you know, think, and I, how I, you live I, surely I for you <laughs> I, def- I definitely didn't find that offensive I found it interesting I, I could sit there for hours and watch those shows because it was just you know it was a very interesting concept because yeah. you're living in this place where you have to share one bedroom with maybe uh, three or four of your siblings while you have uh, kids in the US getting uh, Lamborghinis and Ferraris at the age of 16. And you're thinking, <laughs> you're thinking how do I go from here? From to there, there to there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Trying to figure and, that out. Yeah, that's it. So, and when you start to think that, it's more like it can become really hopeless really fast because there aren't that many options to reach that stage from a refugee camp. Unless, of course, you know, what happened to us, you know, of course, through um, UNHCR, we were able to immigrate to Norway. Okay, so let's talk about you're in the camp and the news comes from the Norwegian government that there's an offer for your family to emigrate to Norway. Yeah. Can you remember that day? Can you tell me what that day was like for you and your family? (laughs) I think for my for my parents it was it was very very big. It was. I'm um, sure it was. Um, So I think, but for for me, like I I can't remember what I, I felt during that time I don't know if I even felt anything I think it was just cool <laughs> <laughs> what, what did cool. you know about Norway because I'm sure nothing. they didn't go no, into nothing. it very deeply on MTV <laughs> nothing I, I you know I I knew nothing about Norway the only thing that I you know was excited about is getting my own room and having a TV in my own room that was the only thing that crossed my mind. I was like, oh, wow, we are immigrating. So for you, Norway place. could have been America. It was no, some <laughs> other place that wasn't where you, Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So uh, I think... <laughs> it could have um, been an American state for all you knew, really. It definitely could have been. So my, yeah. my, my parents, like, I think they wanted, really wanted to move to Australia. But, you know, that fell through. So we got accepted in, in, into Norway. And the reason they wanted to go there is because our, a lot of our, our family friends... I'd already immigrated to, to, to Australia. As refugees. As refugees. Right. And I, rem- I remember having conversations with some of my friends and I'll ask them constantly, like, you know, how is the place? Like, uh, and they will tell me about, oh my goodness, they have these tall buildings and, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, this is like, you know, out of a Batman movie. <laughs> and, you know, I also, you know, always ask them, can you please send me a bicycle? Like, that was my only request to them. And they will tell me, oh, yeah, I mean, 
man, we have bicycles lying, ev- you know, all around us. We can definitely send you two or three. And I, I got so excited by hearing that, but they never came. Um, I so, love it that you're watching MTV yeah. and 16-year-old kids in America are getting yes. Ferraris and, and all you want is a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a Ferrari's not much good to you in a refugee <laughs> camp, is it's it? Not. It's not. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. Yeah, so like I really, yeah. Um, so when the news came of, um, you know, when, when we heard that we were going to immigrate to Norway, I think I, I was excited by just a few things. Getting a bicycle, my own room, and a TV in my room. So you leave the camp. Mm. And you haven't set foot outside that camp in six years, have you? Yes, exactly. When you leave the camp, you finally walk out there, you've been there for so much of your life. Yeah. And then suddenly you're (laughs) on your way to the airport. Exactly, yeah. It's, um, man, it was, I I, I quite didn't think much about it. I think I was just, you know, okay, so this is happening, fine. Go with the flow. (laughs) Go with the flow. We are are going with the flow. I think it was it was until we reached the airport in in Norway in, in Oslo that it kind of hit me like a brick like oh wow we are no longer in the refugee camp like we're in the place where I like this is more advanced now they have escalators they have elevators and <laughs> oh, oh no Toto we're not in Kansas anymore we, no <laughs> we we are we are definitely not and I remember so I remember my older sister. When we were, you know, so we reached the airport and we had to go upstairs and we had to take the escalator. And I remember her just, you know, trying to put her first foot, <laughs> trying to put a foot on the, on the escalator. And what the rest and of the she, family yeah, just watching, just watching, see how it's done. And she's just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> and she foot finally, on, foot off, foot on, foot off. Did yeah. finally did. <laughs> so, oh, sorry. So that, that happened. And then we get into an elevator. So we get in, the doors closed, and we, we're just standing there. Okay, so <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> there are buttons there. We, do, we don't know which button to press. So um, I think, um, so... Um, <laughs> I love this thought. So what you <laughs> get is, you all get in the lift, the doors close, and everyone looks at each other and thinks, oh my God, what happens yeah. now? <laughs> this, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not working. It. It's not working, yeah. <laughs> it's not. So oh we're, just, we're just standing there. Yeah, like this is how inexperienced we are. Um, so we're just standing there, and then you know, uh, this person comes in and you know, press a few buttons, and we start. You know, we feel like we are moving up, and like, oh wow, this is very cool. Yeah. So and mind you, I, I used to watch MTV Cribs, so that you know, some of these houses had elevators in them. Yeah, but you never saw but, anyone push a button no, or anything. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, they just I get did. in, and then next thing I they're did. getting out. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and then you know, so the the um, the state government um, sends this big bus to come and pick up, pick us up from 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 the airport, and we are like, oh my, well, wow, this is a like top customer service we are getting. <laughs> <laughs> so they drive us to these two newly built homes, and they built this just for us. So you know, of course, one is from, you know uh, my family, and one is from for my sister's family. And it's just like, there are definitely those moments when, even as a kid, like you just sit and just oh, like think how lucky you are. Like, you know, like all of this has been prepared for you and you don't know, you know. Yeah, like you... It must have felt like Christmas. You, you don't know. Oh, yeah. certainly, yeah. Certainly. Like now you have toilets inside. You have this ma- massive kitchen, uh, electricity that doesn't go out once in a while like you have um 
actually appliances exactly and, 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 and all of this, this, this all of this thing. was provided by the Norwegian government yes like you get into a house and everything is in there like you don't have to buy anything bedding everything everything is yeah, o- yeah. organized for clothes you. all that sort of stuff that's it yeah was there a bicycle yeah. in your room the, the, there was no, no bicycle in my room it came later though it, it did <laughs> it did so we you know so we ar- arrived there and you know they, they pick us up we go to our house and we just yeah, like we were just in a kind of a dreamland. You know, yeah, not sure. our mind are still processing what's happening. And then on top of that, you have to think about, oh, wow, so this is a new place. We have to start our lives all over again. So we have to kind of think, figure out how we're going to adapt as well. But just for now, like we were just, you know, just amazed by what. Was, it, we was it like culture shock? You've come from not Africa yet. to yeah. Norway. Yeah. Like, you know, the like culture shock <laughs> came later. Once it started to sink in and once I started going to school, like that's, that's when, like, Oh, yeah. I, I missed the refugee camp. <laughs> oh, yeah, Life yeah. was easier back then. But, you know, yeah. In, so you're 13. <laughs> yes, now. yes. And you're going to school, yeah. a proper school, for the a first time school. in your life. A proper school, yes. You've got to learn in Norwegian. Yes. A language you don't speak. That's it. And How does that work? How do you do that? Oh, man. So I remember my first day of school. Oh, man. I think, yeah, my, my, my heart was beating so hard. It was, it was insane. I was so, so nervous. So they come and um, pick my brother and I up to, you know, to go to school. So we reach the school and we enter the building. We look around like we can see any other African people. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, <laughs> wow. All right. They give us a tour of the, the classrooms, um, pretty much the entire building. And of course, like, you know. They have computers and everything. Like, my mind is going nuts. And had you ever seen I, a computer before? I had. Like, so in the refugee camp, they had, there was this office close by that they had one computer. Like, that brick white uh, <laughs> Windows 93 or something. I was going to say some, some relic <laughs> from the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but these, these ones are like, you know, proper. They, they were running a Windows Vista or something. And... Of course, like I was really excited about that, but the thing I was really worried about was how I was going to kind of, you know, um, put my shyness away and actually embrace this new environment in a language you don't yeah. understand. Exactly. So how, how did you do that? Oh man, um, it it was it was to tell the truth, like it was really difficult at first. I I never quite fit in. Norway is is a small country, as you might have known, um, and. The, the communities there, like, a lot of them have grown up together. So the kids that you meet, like, you know, they've, they went to kindergarten together until they reach university. They're still together. So it's always difficult for an outsider to come in and kind of fit in. Connect. Yeah. Connect, exactly. Um, and it doesn't really help when you are really shy. And, I, man, I was, I was a very shy kid. <laughs> I was not just shy, but very... Very nervous as well. So that made it extra hard for me to connect with my fellow students or start speaking the, the language. Like we're just thrown into, <laughs> into, into school like with kids that, you know, I was speaking. Yeah, so we, we pretty much had to adapt faster. Sure. And but was, English is like yeah. a second language there, isn't it? It is. So it is because yeah. you had some English, that would yes. help you bridge the gap. Yes. Um, and in a way, it also um, it delayed that process of learning Norwegian because I could always go to my teacher and, you know, and speak, speak uh, English with them. And I didn't have to try as hard to mm-hmm. you know, communicate in, in Norwegian. But eventually, we got there. Yeah. 
And then um, eventually you yeah. came here. Eventually I came here. So you graduate from high school. Yeah. I graduate high school in Norway and I kind of decided to take like a year off. So I, I was I was working at this time. I started earning a little bit of money and I started feeling, oh, well, well, you know what? Maybe like university is not for me. First of all, I've always thought that I'm not smart enough to go to uni. Like, no way I'm, I'm, I'm going to complete that. Like, I'm not a book smart person. Like, I'll just rather, you know, walk somewhere and earn a living and just let, let that be. So one year extended to five years. Then, <laughs> you know, I decided, like, you know what? Okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm just going to give it a try and see how it goes. So I applied to a university in Oslo to study interior design. So I go, I go there, you know, I moved to Oslo, like, you know, get a new apartment there and everything. After a week of school, like, yeah, it was, it was not clicking. I dropped out <laughs> and then okay. I moved back home. Because they were teaching in Norwegian or because you just didn't like it? Both. I quite, I've, I've, I've never really felt at home studying in Norwegian. So it was that plus, you know, the, the subject that I was taking was not really interesting to me. But then at the end of the day, really boiled down to the fact that I didn't quite believe that I could do it. So you know, I, I, I dropped out, then I moved back home uh, and I started working again. And this was a time when my, my brother had already moved to Sydney. So I decided, okay, so... He came here before, to study. Yeah, before, yeah. yeah. Um, so I decided, you know what, okay, I'll go and visit him and see how the place is. So I traveled to Sydney with this uh, idea of uh, spending New Year's Eve at the Opera House. But then I don't realize how jet-lagged I am, so I end up sleeping. <laughs> you missed the whole thing. I missed the whole thing. <laughs> oh, no. I woke up. I woke up New Year's Eve, the world-famous <laughs> Sydney fireworks, and you slept through the whole thing. I, I woke yeah, up, yeah. and it was 1st of January. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. No, yeah, but... <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, the trip was a success because um, I really fell in love with the place. Like, you know, the, the people, how welcoming they were. And, you know, of course, like my, my brother, especially hearing what he had to say because he's an introvert, but living in Sydney kind of made him a little bit of, of an extrovert. Like he was going out with friends and all right. that. And okay. so that, you know, of course, like you have to give it, give it to in the environment that, you know, people pro- provide for you. You know, so my trip ended, I travelled back to Norway and that's when I started looking for universities in Australia. And why the and, Gold Coast? Uh, why did you come here? Oh, well, um, two things. Number one <laughs> is because at first I wanted to go to Sydney because, well, my, my, my brother is there. I wanted to go to the same university. So I was speaking to this education agent and he recommended that, you know what, m- maybe it might be a little bit wise to look into other places than Sydney because Sydney, of course, like it's very pricey. It's a very popular place. So maybe, you know, do that. And he recommended the Gold Coast. I so, started, and this is back in Oslo, is it? Back in Norway? Yeah, yeah back in Norway, yeah. yeah. So I, I started looking into, into the Gold Coast and uh, Griffith University was also recommended to me. So I, I looked into that. And it didn't. It took me maybe like two or three months before I made, I made my decision to apply. So I applied to the university and think... Maybe a, a, a month or so later, I got a response that, you know, uh, I was accepted into the university. I was like, oh, wow, interesting. I'm moving to a new place. So, yeah, so it, that, that happened and packed my bags in 2017 and I moved to the Gold Coast. 
And here I am. <laughs> and here you are, yes. indeed. Three, recently three graduated. Three years later, yeah. Tell me, did you find that your study experience at Griffith and living on the Gold Coast lived up to your expectations? Ooh. Okay, so here's the thing. I had no expectations. <laughs> that's that's, that's number a good one. way to live. That That is number one. Like, I just... I, th- I think, like, I kind of had to put myself in a position where, like, there was no point of return. Because when I moved to Oslo, like, I knew, well, my parents are just a train ride away. <laughs> I can just move back. My, my job is probably, Safety you know, net. Exactly. Yeah. I had yeah. a safety net. So Australia was more like, if I do this, like, this is it. I'm not I'm looking back. I'm not dropping out this time. I'm just, I'm going to do it. So I came without mentality in mind. And yeah, I think it really helped. And in the end, Griffith University really met my um, non-existent <laughs> expectations. Well, let's, perhaps it exceeded your non-existent expectations because <laughs> you didn't have any Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. All right. Can yeah. I ask you then, how, yeah. how is your experience here yeah. being here for the last three or four years? Yeah. How has it changed you as a person? Ah, oh, man. Um, starting at, at Griffith, because of the open environment that it has, like it's a very, very welcoming place and students are all curious to know about each other. It kind of forced me to push myself out of my comfort zone. So I started becoming a little bit less shy. One thing that I'll definitely say is that I've really become very grateful like to have the life that I've had. Of course, like it was hopeless to begin with, like living in Congo and all those these distractions. And from there to move to all those other places. But then in some way, that all led me to where I'm at today. And it has kind of built a deeper understanding. Like w- when I see things that are happening across the world in terms of uh, refugees being denied access into countries, like it just, it, 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 it's, it's very heartbreaking at, at times but then there is this other side as well like you know um, because of my education i understand that it's not black and white do you feel accepted here do i feel accepted yes i do certainly 100 percent. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely say yes i think i think more accepted than in in norway does it feel like home to you does it feel like you've only been here for nearly four years is oh, it? Man. do yeah. you identify as being congolese do you identify yeah. as being norwegian yeah or now that you're here, maybe yeah. you're not really sure anymore. I don't yeah. know. Home is a very foreign concept to me. And I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like, I don't have a home, per se. Like, there's no one place that I can say, like, you know, like, this this is it. I remember um, studying with other people from Norway, and, you know, they will come here for one trimester. And before they left, uh, you know, they will say things like, I can never see myself living here. Like I need to to go home. <laughs> yeah. I need to go. And to me, that sounded like wow. I've never thought it like that. Mm-hmm. I would say Norway is is home because that's where my mom and dad live and my other siblings. But whether I will see myself living in one place or living in Norway for the rest of my life, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Let's talk about a project that you undertook. While you were still a student at Griffith yeah. and yeah. you launched a social enterprise yeah. where the proceeds would go yeah. to help underprivileged kids in developing countries. Yeah. Tell me about Global Suns. Global Suns Apparel. Yeah, so you know, it, it, it started because, of course, like my past life and seeing how 
a lot of kids were being left behind because their parents couldn't afford to put them in schools. So I came up with uh, with the idea um, with my uh, then partner, and we decided to to start a, a clothing brand that will um, sell clothing and, and donate fifty percent of that of our earnings to young students in need. I find this really fascinating in that <laughs> you launch a charity yeah. that's going to raise money yeah. to educate kids in developing yeah. countries. Yeah. Yeah. This is a kid who never wanted to go to school when he was <laughs> in camp in no. Malawi, would rather run around school. and play soccer with his mates. Exactly, yeah. But no. At what point yeah. did you develop this appreciation yeah. of, of an education and what it could do for you? I, th- I think, um, you know, the, the fact that I'm sitting here right now is because I got some form of education. When we arrived in Norway, like I started saying, like you know, the, like how big this gap was, and how kids in developing countries were being left behind because they didn't, you know, they couldn't um, access proper schooling. That idea started building then, and when I arrived in Australia, the idea of starting that organization came to my mind. I just had to do it. It was one of those things that I have to try and see what impact I can create with this. In yeah. retrospect, given that you were still very green, you were still studying business yeah. at university. Yeah. yeah. Were, were you being too ambitious too soon? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was. Um, I think, so the other thing about me is I'm a bit of a daydreamer and I can fall, fall in love with an idea like too much to not see the uh, disadvantages in that idea. And I think this, the, unfortunately, this was also the case with, with Global Science Apparel. We didn't plan it properly. Let's put that down to a lesson in business. Oh, and, definitely, you know, definitely, yeah. Any successful yeah. business people Certainly. have failed numerous times before they succeeded. So, definitely, yeah. yeah. So do you think yeah. that you would do it again like you would, or that you would try something different again yeah. to try and raise money to help kids in disadvantaged countries? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. One thing that I really, I really wish I could have been able to, to get as a kid was at least being forced <laughs> to go to school. And that's cool being available to me. Because now there are certain times like, you know, I meet people, I feel very inferior to them a a bit. There is definitely an inferiority complex there. Why? Because you don't think you had a full education? Yeah, like, uh, for for example, when you're talking to someone like, you know, like is smart, like their brain is (laughs) kind of structured in a way that is like, yeah, it's just... And you sit there and you're thinking, if I open my mouth right now, <laughs> the, you know, this person might start, you know, maybe laughing at me. Joseph, can I let you in a little secret? That's that me I'm every saying. minute of my waking day. <laughs> because the thing I'm saying doesn't make sense. And maybe it's just me overthinking. But yeah, that, like I really wish as a kid that I had that proper schooling accessible to me. Does it ever occur to you that those same smart people might yeah. have the very same thoughts about you and think, like, look at this guy. He's one of those strong, silent types. He hasn't said yeah. a word. like See, you know, <laughs> And they're absolutely <laughs> petrified, thinking that they're going to say something uh, dumb yeah. any minute. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're thinking that, please, please don't. <laughs> it's, okay. <laughs> it's okay. I think um, I'll definitely start something again, like, you know, when the opportunity presents itself and it's... It's something that I've carefully sat down and thought through. Like, I'll, I'll definitely do it. Two questions before we wrap yeah. up. If you could 
be anywhere in the world right now and yeah. do anything that you want. Yeah. What would that be? Ooh, I think I'll be in France cycling, doing the uh, Tour de France. Because th- this yeah. is the thing now, the, the kid that always <laughs> wanted a bicycle, yeah. you are a mad keen cyclist. Yes. You're as fit as, yeah. oh, you put me to you. shame, which is no stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but you are super fit, you love cycling. I yeah. do, no, I definitely, I think cycling is one of those things, it put my, my mind at ease, like I can just focus when I'm cycling, like I don't have to think about my worries, my you know, what's happening tomorrow, whatever, like I can just, you know, yeah. just pedal and Daydream away. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. go somewhere. Is the Gold Coast a good city for cycling? Yes, it is. Certainly, it is, yeah. Great climate, Um, pretty flat. It it is flat, yes, it is. But um, the thing that I'm enjoying really much lately is cycling to um, Freeman's Organic Farm. So it has like this... Which is up in the hinterland, yeah. Up in the hinterlands, yeah. Mm. So it has like this um, six and a half kilometres of of a climb, which, oh, it can be... It's really cool. It does, it does. Yeah. Like it's a what a spectacular place. view when you get oh up there. Oh my yeah. God, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's amazing. I would cycle there every single weekend to go and have their uh, organic avocados and, and, and bananas. <laughs> and when you do yeah. that, do you pinch yeah. yourself and you look out over that and think, I can't yeah. believe I'm here on the Gold Coast. Look at this. It's yeah. an amazing part of the world. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I can't even believe that I'm actually alive today. Like, you know, a lot of things could have gone wrong on my way here, but it, it didn't. And, uh, you know, I think I owe that to, to God and, and my parents, of course. The Gold Coast has definitely been, like, this big chapter in my life. Like, it's a very um, transformational, I'll, I'll definitely say that. And especially both personally and professionally, of course. And now um, working with you guys at, at Study Gold Coast, like, it's pushing me, like, a bit more, like, to actually realize my full potential, whatever that might be. You're in a position now where you're helping students that were once like you that come yep. from all over the world yep. that come to this yep. city to study. Yep. How does that feel for you that you were once like them yeah. and now you're there being their guide, kind of, helping yeah. them along yeah. And, yeah. and giving them these amazing experiences? What does Certainly. that feel like? <laughs> I, I, I always joke about these things and I say powerful when, you, when you're asking me this. But it's, um, yeah, it's, ju- it's just one of those, there, there are times like I have to kind of pinch myself that, like what? Oh wow! Like I'm in this position, like you know, where I can make you know other students' lives a bit better. And this is coming from from a guy that you know didn't believe in going to school at, at a young age. That's yes. the other thing. The reason why I keep going back to saying that you know I wish I had an education as, at a very young age is because I wish that. I could have developed my vocabulary at, at a young age. So now it's always a challenge to find the correct words to say. So it's like my brain is thinking, okay, wait, 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 okay, so say this. No, 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 no. <laughs> say that. <laughs> No, no, no. Like it's it's not. Yeah, it's. I think I think you have to go back to the day that you left the refugee camp and just go with the flow. (laughs) It's not structured. Joseph Prosper, it's an amazing journey that you've been on, and it's not over yet. In fact, yes, I think it's just beginning for you. Oh my god! Yeah, like you know, I'm I'm looking forward to where we all end up next. It's going to be good. I'm looking forward to seeing where you end up next. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Can I just say something before I close? Sure. I was listening to, to this podcast, uh, so it's called TED Interviews. Yes. And one of the guys I was being interviewed like said uh, this one word, circle of care. 
And pretty much just going back to where I started with Bren's story, like I didn't know that, you know, Bren was that feisty and rebellious as a kid. It comes down to not pretty much just letting people tell their stories and listening and extending our circle of care. Like, you know, we shouldn't dismiss people for no reason without even listening to what they have to say first. So I'd like to, you know, end this by saying, like, you know, let's all, like, extend our circle of, of care. What a beautiful way to end the chat. If you enjoyed Joseph's story and you can't help but be moved by this young man's journey, then please subscribe to Tomorrow Is Mine and please give the podcast a rating if you can. And if you feel inclined, write a review. You'll find out more details about the show on our website, which is www.studygoldcoast.org.au. My name's Trevor Jackson. This man's name is Joseph Prosper and I look forward to you joining me the next time for Tomorrow Is Mine.